Astadio. Oh, he loaded up. Mercedes tattoos it to center. It is gone. There you go. A 3-0 swing. And it's 16 to 4. James, two defenders on him to Caldwell Pope inside. He's tied up by Green. Throws it back up top. James puts up the three. Oh, it's gone. LeBron James from downtown as the shot clock expires. Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I am Mitchell Kaminsky. Boy, it is an exciting week for sports. The Chicago White Sox are in first place. LeBron James just hit the shot of shots last night. NHL playoffs underway. And Tim Tebow is a Jaguar. We'll talk about all of that and more coming up. But let me start with this. Every time I think I'm done talking about Tony La Russa, he does something else that is so frustrating. It seems like every seven days there is something with this man. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back. So, <laughs> it was the other night, White Sox playing their division rival, the Minnesota Twins, who are out by like 10 games. So this is really your chance to stomp on their throat. Division rival. This is a team that has been killing the White Sox the past couple years. Now you finally have a chance to get some revenge. And the first game of this series... On uh, Monday night, uh, the White Sox, they take a 15-4 to lead late in the game. They are, they are beating him. And then Yerman Mercedes committed the heinous crime of hitting a home run when they're up by that many runs on a, a 3-0 count when, when a position player w- was pitching. And I guess that's against the unwritten rules. And let me tell you something about the unwritten rules. There's a reason they're unwritten, because when you write them down, they sound ridiculous. I was trying to explain this to a friend the other day. Writing an article about it. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm writing an article about the White Sox. There's like some major like drama going on or whatever. And he's like, oh, well, what's the drama? And I was like trying to explain the why the manager was upset at him afterwards. And like, it sounds, it was so stupid. Like, I could not explain it, make it make sense. She's like, this makes, this makes, so apparently if, if, if you're up 3-0 in the count, then you, you have to take until you, you can swing at one. Because it's disrespectful to the other team if you hit a home run. Uh, but in, is a position player on the mound. It's not disrespectful if you're throwing a first baseman that's lobbing 47 mile per hour pitches, and that's not disrespectful. But uh, this apparently is the, the whole situation. It's getting out of control. So you're from Mercedes. He hit, it should have been a fun moment. And baseball's supposed to be, you know, they've had a problem in the past with the game not being fun. Like Yerman Mercedes home run off William Acevedo should have been a fun moment. It's two big guys, La Tortuga, and the Yerminator. Two guys with the nickname. Facing off, that was a fun moment and a blowout. You know, one of the, the fans were into it. That's one of the few things they had to cheer about, their guys on the mound. He's throwing, like I said, 47-mile-hour beach balls in there. And the, the White Sox, rookie sensation, who's leading the A in batting average. Uh, he created the heinous crime. He swung at a 3-0 count when they were 54. And William Ostadio wasn't happy. He's glaring at him. He's rounding the bases. The Twins announcers, those old fogies, they, they, they weren't happy. Like, oh, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like it. It was it's, it's stupid. So, like, what's he supposed to do? He's sitting there saying, he's, he's been in the, one of the best hitters on the White Sox this season. He, he's the key to his success. 
he's constantly saying is uh, to be urine. And that's what he did. Their, their slogan, the White Sox slogan, is change the game. Change the game. So why are we following these unwritten rules here? He's going to be uh, going up for arbitration in a couple years. You don't think that home run's going to help his stats there when, he, when he's wanting extra money? It will. Last time I checked, it's professional at bat. It's, it's a profession. You want to put up numbers. You're supposed to try. This is respecting the game, hustling between the lines and, and giving your best effort. That, that's respecting the game. And then he's also, right now, in the lead for batting average. You know, he's trying to win a batting title this year. So I think that extra, that, that extra hit is, uh, th- you know, that's, that's what he's supposed to do. And after the game, the next day, Mercedes didn't apologize. He had nothing to apologize for. He said, I'm here with Mercedes. He said, we're just having fun. It's baseball. It is. Now, nah, but Tony LaRusa, he's asked about the situation. Which, this is after the fact, too. This is the next day. It's completely after. So we, we should be celebrating the fact that the White Sox just kicked the crap out of the Minnesota Twins. They're in first place now. This is their division rival. They're, they're stomping on their throat. Instead, what does their manager do? After he had time to think about this, too, because this is the next day, like I said, before the press conference, he's, a, he's asked about it, and, and he goes, well, big mistake. Just about the time the guy started making the pitch, I took several steps in the dugout yelling, take, take, take. Just the way he set up, it looked to me like he was going to swing. And the whole time he was running the bases, I was out there looking at him angrily. I was upset because it's not the time to swing 3-0. I just think Yerman was locked in. He and Ostadio, they know each other from different competitions. He was locked in thinking, I've got him. I've got to get him. But he missed the 3-0 take sign with that kind of lead. It's just sportsmanship and respect for a game and respect the opponent. He made a mistake. There will be consequences in our family that he has to endure, but it won't happen again because Joe and I will be on the lookout, and I will be too. We'll go running in front of the pitcher if we have to. Now, any credibility, uh, credibility Tony La Russa had in the locker room is just gone. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna be, there's going to be consequences. You're going to punish your best player for hitting a home run when you missed a rule earlier in the season. You <laughs> missed the rule. And then Tim Anderson, he, he took the Instagram. He basically, he's the captain of this locker room. And he, he basically gave Tony La Russa the middle finger after the game saying, the game wasn't over. Keep doing your thing, Big Daddy. And Merced, he's responded and said, yes, sir, let's do it, baby. And, you know, then Tony Larusa goes on to say, too, he said, uh, he's like, when Yerman was talking about, like, oh, the I'm Yerman defense, he said, uh, I heard he said something like, I play my game. No, he doesn't. He plays the game of Major League Baseball, respects the game, respects the opponents. He's got to respect the time signs. When he gets a take sign, he takes. It's a learning experience. And this is why, when he was hired, this is every, all of my fears coming to fruition when this man was hired. The first one is the old school versus new school approach that they have. The White Sox, look like I said, change the game. You got Tim Anderson out there. He's bat flipping. He shows personality. He said, baseball is boring. I am trying to change it. You got a lot of personality on these teams. They're trying to showcase it. There's a lot of likable characters. And you bring in this dinosaur that's supposed to try and connect with them. He's completely out of touch with his players. His own players are going to Evan Marshall. You look at the relief pitcher for the White Sox. Look at some of the tweets he's been making. They're all criticizing Tony La Russa. <laughs> Look at, I mean, I'll read some of some of these tweets that, like, it's kind of funny. He's going out there, and so here is, let me pull it up uh, really quick. Yeah. Ah, they're pulling up. He, 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 like in a bunch of tweets, criticizing his manager. Lance Lynn chimed in, too, after Tuesday's game, saying, if a position player is on the mound, there are no rules. Let's get the game the game over with, and if you have a problem with whatever happened, 
then put a pitcher out there. So I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Also, too, another thing that's out of time, like I said, White Sox have been losing to the Twins all these years. Tim Anderson said before the season, we need that killer instinct in us. We need that dog in us. That, like, step on our throat mentality, you know, doesn't matter. So, uh, yeah, here, here, here's his exact quote. This is what he said before the season. Because he said the last year the White Sox were lacking a killer instinct. He said, we need that dog in us. We need some let's go out there and whoop these motherfuckers, he said on the NBC Sports Talk podcast. And then he continued, it might be 10-0 in the first. Let's keep going. That's exactly what the White Sox did. Lucas Giolito, he's on the White Sox commercial when they have their trailer for selling tickets. He's like, yeah, we want that killer mentality. Like... Is killing, and what, what does La Russa do? He goes out and apologizes to their division rival. He apologizes. And his defense was, well, you know, a lot of people are saying he wants to protect his team. He doesn't want a beanball war and then get to her. All right, well, maybe if that is what he's trying to do. But the next day, what do you know? They throw at Yerman Mercedes, and instead of defending his best player, who's responsible for winning a lot more games than Tony is, because Tony has blown. But there's been many games Tony Russa has lost because of his managerial decision. Like, that was the one thing we were promised to Tony Russo. Yeah, we knew he'd be out of touch. He had his questionable comments about kneeling for the National Anthem, even though most of the White Sox team kneeled for the National Anthem. That's a red flag. And, you know, how he loves the old school, unwritten rules, and the White Sox slogans changed the game. That was a red flag. And the fact that he hadn't been managing for a while, so the game might have passed him by. But we were promised by everyone. Steve Stone. Well, you will never get out managed with Tony Russo in the dugout. He's great strategy. And he has been outmanaged multiple times. Failed to pull Lucas Giolito in this one Tigers game, where everyone could see he was tired. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize he was fatigued. He forgot a rule in extra innings and had our closer, $54 million closer, running around on the base pass risking the injury. That's a problem. He refused to pinch hit for Billy Hamilton, who was batting below the Mendoza line at the time. And he's like, well, we were looking for a single, even though he had plenty of power options available on the bench in uh, one game. It's, it's, it's just time after time after time. You get outmanaged. He's made mistakes. Evan, Evan, or he left Matt Foster in the game against the Mariners too long. Gave him eight runs. The game was basically over after that point because he left him in well too long in a game the White Sox should have won. So in the next day after they throw, you remember Satan. Look at how out of touch this is. He should have defend his players. Like, oh, you know, I didn't see anything wrong with what the Twins did. I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I didn't see any intention. There was no malicious intent there. It's like, really? You're not going to defend? You are not going to defend the guy that... That... It's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. And you can tell because the players are like, and I don't think there's a, everyone's like, oh, it's creating a rip in locker room. I don't think there is. I think all it's all the players against Tony. <laughs> the, the disconnect is really showing. And let me tell you, they're lucky they're winning games because if they if they weren't winning games, this would be ugly. Winning masks a lot of stuff. So you can tolerate a lot of Tony Roos' bullshit because you're winning games. But if they were starting losing games, boy, this thing could get ugly. Like after the game, your rival. After you apologize to him the next day after kicking their ass, which is not a complete opposite to the killer mentality, he goes, I don't have a problem with how the Twins handle the situation. You don't have a problem with it? They just threw at your best player. On purpose. Do you see what happened when Kevin Pillar got hit in the face with a fastball? You throw in a 90-mile-an-hour projectile at someone, the damage it could do? Intentional or not intentional? Where, where, where that thing was located? Boys. Yeah, you would think they'd stick up. I mean, that's that bad. Even on the live stream, you got all these White Sox players. Like, okay, Tim Anderson, like, keep swinging 3-0, baby. And as far as the missing the sign thing goes, I, I can understand why you'd be upset. Okay, yeah, he missed a sign. You can get upset about that. But it has nothing to do with respecting the rules or respecting the opponent. They threw 
a guy that they put in a position player that was lobbing 47 mile hour pitches. That's not respecting the game. How is that respecting your opponent? They were waving the proverbial right flag there by doing that. You no longer respect your opponent if you're going to put in a position player that is throwing beach balls in there. Literal batting practice. That's not respecting your opponent. And you're apologizing to me. I mean, it's it's just, it's just a joke. The whole thing's a joke. I'm glad the national media's picked up on it because it's, I mean, it's embarrassing. That was one of the worst press conferences I've ever heard after a game. And then he doubled down on it the next day. And not after you double down on it, not defend your player that just got thrown at. I mean, come on now. As far as the sign thing goes, yeah, okay. He missed the sign. I understand that. Yoan Moncada almost cost the White Sox a game by blowing through a stop sign at third base. I didn't hear him come out after the game saying, oh, there's going to be consequences. Yerman did something that helped the team where Yoan Moncada, and I, he's a great player. I mean, I'm, he blew through a stop sign at third base, running home in the ninth inning, and was thrown out at the plate. Missed a blatant sign. Didn't hear anything about consequences then. Tony LaRusa misses a rule. Doesn't hear anything about consequences then. And this is a guy, you really want to talk about sportsmanship and respecting the game. This is a guy that's enabled steroid use, had multiple DVIs, and you're going to talk about, like, oh, but, you know, God forbid we break the unwritten rules. He doesn't even know the regular written rules. But good thing he's the gatekeeper of the MLB's unwritten rules. Because God forbid we break those and have a little bit of fun. It's... And I wonder why baseball's dying. So out of time. Like, everyone knew this would be, I mean, you know. It's a good thing literally everyone before the, the season called it. <laughs> this, this, would be the, this would be the case. And say what you want about Ricky Renteria. At least he had his players back. He defended his players all the time. The Tim Anderson bat flip. And he was like, if you don't like it, get him out. That's the mentality you should have had. If you don't like Yerman's way, like, get him out. Or don't put a position player in the mouth. Like, yeah. We have a story right now after a guy hitting a three. Like, this should not have been a story this long, and that, it's frustrating. I'm done there, but I'm off my soapbox. But that is just, you, you can't have that. You can't have that. And it's such a likable team. It, I've never seen a team so likable and a manager so unlikable. <laughs> it's the two polar opposites. And the whole team is basically right. They, you, all you need to know is the entire team took your Mercedes side. Even Trevor Bauer, all these guys on social media. CC Sabathia, great rant on like, it's a trash take. That is a terrible take from Tony Luso. All right, let's go to some basketball here. Last night was one of the great playoff games you're ever going to see. LeBron James facing off against Stephen Curry. And let me say that I got multiple thoughts on both of them. First off, Steph Curry, he's not going to win the MVP. It's going to go to Nikola Jokic. But that right there showed you why he, he, he probably should for, for this season. Nikola Jokic wouldn't have had that team. You were the Steph Curry's going there on the road. This is Staples Center. Facing a team that is much bigger, stronger than they are. Has a lot more depth, too, than what he's working with. They should have dominated in the paint. They had all the size. It should have been a blowout. And Steph Curry did what he did best. He was cooking. Shooting the lights out. Making some plays that literally he's the only player in the world that, that, that can make some of these shots. They start double-teaming him. He gets his teammates involved, making the right basketball plays. It was just a clinic on how to play. Moving without the ball, too. Like, that's how you play the game of basketball right there. And what makes Steph Curry so impressive is because what he does best is something literally anyone can do. Shoot the basketball. First thing you do when you get on the court. When you pick it up, you see the net, shoot it at it. Everyone shoots. Everyone can shoot. Not everyone can dunk. 
Not everyone has the ball handling skills of Kyrie Irving. Not everyone can throw down these dunk. Not everyone dunking from the three throw line like Michael Jordan. But everyone, whether you're good at it or not, you can pick up a basketball and you can shoot at the basket. And no one, despite the fact that he does it, he, he is Steph Curry does that better than anyone that has ever played the game of basketball. He's just the best to ever do it. That's what makes it so, like, literally everyone can do what he does, and he just does it so much better than everyone. It's, like, insane. Like, the one shot he made before the half with a guy draped all over him in his face, it's like, what? It's so much fun to watch that him play the game of basketball, and, like, the fact that he kept his team in it that long was so impressive to me. Because, uh, like, look at the guys he was playing with. I mean, Wiseman's hurt. And you got Wiggins, who's a very good player. But after that, you got Claypool. Draymond Green had two points. They so got a lot of help from him. It's it's like he's not he's not working with a whole lot. I mean, he's he was the scoring leader for a reason. But that that is so impressive to me. Because even guys that can like dunk, and that's a skill that not everyone can do. We've seen like guys dunk from the three point line before. You know, it, you know, people copy it. People can still emulate it, do it. No one's been able to emulate what Steph Curry's did. It's it's insane. It's insane. And it's so impressive. Now, on the flip side, LeBron James and this Lakers team. I was a little concerned about this Lakers team. Early in that game, they were settling for way too many jump shots. It has to be one of those, you get down low, start posting people up because you have all the size advantage, which was very frustrating early on watching it, rooting for the Lakers. Like, come on, what the heck are they doing? Like, if Alex Caruso's your leading scorer heading into halftime, there's a problem there. Because the AD should have been posting. I don't know what he was doing in the first half. Dennis Schroeder was trying to prove he was a scorer the entire game. Wrong time to do that. He had a pretty bad night. LeBron looked like the ankle was bothering him early. He had no lift. It, it was ugly. They, 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 were, they were in the serious threat of losing this thing. But let me tell you, and that's why LeBron's going to go down as one of, all, one of the all-time greats, is the fact that he's still dealing with that ankle injury. How he turned it on in that second half with the, the triple-double. Made some great defensive plays, blocked a couple shots, got the teammates involved. Some of the passes he was making, threading the needle to Caruso on the one. And, some of the, and then, obviously, the big shot at, at the end, too, which we'll get into. But, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that is a great – he showcased why he, he was great as well. Because he was not having his best game. He was shooting the ball terribly. He didn't have any – you know, he, he didn't have any left – in the final couple quarters – he made the, he made the big plays when he had to, so that's where you step up. And it was really kind of an old school game. I mean, there's a lot of great. De- this is why I liked it. it. Was a lot of great defense. And Alex Caruso deserves a ton of credit in this game. He's really the glue guy for this Lakers team. And you look at him, and everyone likes him because he's kind of like a meme, you know, with the balding white guy with the headband. But he he's the only player in double digits after the first quarter. And he was, I mean, no one can stop Steph Curry, but what he did on him in the fourth quarter especially, he was playing some great defense on him. Like, he did an excellent job trying to slow him down, forced a couple turnovers late, which were huge, made a couple big layups in the fourth quarter too. Uh, he made this really nice pass to Anthony Davis. He's one of those guys, and I remember reading a Sports Illustrated article about him. He showed up to one of the Lakers tryouts, and they literally thought he was the UPS guy. They're like, who gave the UPS guy the uniform? They did not know. The, I feel like he's been, that's one of those things he, he deals, you deal with like, looking, looking like that. And he's just a he hustle player, and they, he's really earned a role in the trust of LeBron James late in the games, and then that's why they keep him on the floor. So props to him. But All right, so let's get to the, let's get to the major moment, the big shot to end it. <laughs> LeBron's heave. Now, first off... Let me just say this. I mean, is there anyone 
that big and strong that's more dramatic than he is. I mean, he is a little bit much. That, and this is what's so frustrating about it. He made a huge shot. And then there's this narrative like, oh, there's no pressure. The shot clock was winding down. And if he misses it, there's no consequences because he's not expected to make it. No, there's pressure. There's under a minute left. If you do not score on that possession, you're giving Steph Curry the ball with under a minute left in a tie game. Yeah, I'm not signing up for that. Everyone's trying to stop it. No, I mean, they needed to, they needed to score that possession. That was a huge possession. And was it a lucky shot? Yeah, but the difficulty level on that, because he didn't even catch it in rhythm. That was the second longest game winner since Dame Lillard's uh, buzzer beater against OKC, the, the deep one. But the, it was a deep three. He caught it out of rhythm, and he just got poked in the eye. So he, he could barely see, too. And he's able to make that shot. Oof. I mean, you got to give the man credit there. Yes, was it lucky? Well, you can't tell me there's no pressure on that shot because you missed that shot. And you're... <laughs> there's a problem there. I'm not giving Steph Curry the ball at the game tied late. That was a huge shot. So I don't want to hear this. That was a huge game winner. Big time players make big time shots in big moments. And he stepped up in big moments. Now, the flag. Now, what transpired before that, the, the flagrant foul with Draymond Green, I actually, I, I'm in the minority here. I don't think it was a flagrant. I think that was just a good, hard, clean foul. And I was one of the, I'm one of these people that I think basketball is better back in the day. You watch the highlights of these old school games. I remember after the last dance came out, I read the Jordan rules. So I rewatched the entire 1991 season just so I could see what they were talking about over the, over the summer during quarantine. I was watching 90s basketball games. They are a lot better. They're, I mean, the hard, I like the hard fouls. I think it's great. That's straight out something like 1985. Because Draymond wasn't intentionally trying to hurt him. He just had his hands up. He's like, hey, go easy layups. Boom. So under the letter of the law, was it flagrant? Maybe. I'm actually very glad they didn't call it. But LeBron, he's rolling around on the floor. Making sure everyone knows that he was down. And that's the only reason they wanted to review it for a flagrant anyway. Because I don't think they would have if he didn't do that big job. And then he makes some big production out of his eye. And he makes sure everyone knows he can't see after he hits it. He's like pointing at his eye. And he has the eye drops in. And afterwards he's like, oh, I'm literally seeing three rims. Like, oh, way to lay it on thick. This is why This is why no one... And I truly do believe that after his career he's going to have a more impressive resume than Michael Jordan ever did. Just with all he's done. Like, the fact he's had 17 consecutive seasons of 25, averaging 25 points, when the longest they ever had, like, Michael Jordan ever had was 12. He's done a 17 straight season, averaging 25 points or more. Plus, he's more of a facilitator. Scoring is not his game. That's not all he's focusing on, which is so impressive. And then with the rings you have there, too, you're coming back from 3-1 of the finals, carrying this terrible Cavaliers team to the finals. They won, You got another ring last year. I think they're going to be, uh, I, think they, I think they have a shot to win the finals again this year, too. He's going to have his impressive resume, and this is why no one will ever put him on the same level, is because of stuff like this. After he makes a great shot and a great moment, what are people talking about? It's the fact that he's being a big drama queen. He's got to lay it on thick, being a way over dramatic. Oh, he makes him sound soft. He's rolling around on the floor like he got shot for like five minutes. And then after the game, oh, I was seeing three whims out there. He made sure everyone knew that he didn't come. Just gut it up. You don't have to let everyone know how difficult it was for you. He's like building in excuses already, which was a little, you know. What are you going to do, though? But don't let it take anything away from that shot. That was an excellent shot. <laughs> that was because I'm, I'm telling you, if they miss that, I don't think they're winning that game. I don't. I don't. Steph Curry was lucky. They, they're lucky, too. They they called the timeout because Steph Curry was gearing up, to, I, don't, I think, to launch a three. I think the way he was shooting all night, he probably would have made it, and they called the timeout, let the Lakers set up something defensively. Uh, so... Yeah, no, what are you going to do? What are you going to do there? I 
like this playing tournament, though. I think it's fun. You get more teams involved. Like, how often do you see the Memphis Grizzlies in the playoffs? Like, Charlotte wouldn't have been in the playoffs either. And I know that game was a bust, but, like, you have these small market teams that are, like, playing for something. Did you see how excited, like, those Memphis, excited those Memphis Grizzlies fans were? And that was another great game, too, that the Spurs... Grizzlies, Spurs come charging back in that one. I, I think this playoff playing tournament is a great idea. And not only does it just motivate the teams, like these small market teams, like you have the Bulls who usually wouldn't be in it, and they're playing for something late in the year. It makes it more interesting. And you got the teams. So you get a team like the uh, uh, like the Knicks or uh, even, hell, the Lakers. Usually you're making the team, e- you're making the playoffs easy, but all of a sudden you're jockeying for position because you don't want to be in the playoff tournament. You really want to get that sixth seed. So you don't have to play in these. So it makes it interesting for those guys, too, because now the seeding matters a lot more. Because usually, like, these LeBron James-led teams, like, well, he'll be the first to make Like, I do not care what seed we're in. Don't care. Just get me in the playoffs, and I will turn it on then. Like, the, the his Cleveland team was the one year. I think they were, like, a, what were they? I know they were underdogs, too. Like, they were the lower seed. And, like, the, most they were lower seed to Toronto. I believe they were lower seed to Boston, too. But you, you could tell. It was just, like... They coast near the final couple games of the regular season just so they can get in the play. Now you can't really coast because you don't want to be in the playing tournament. You don't like the playing tournament? Then uh, start winning games. So I think that's a great great addition for the NBA there. Like you get some instant game sevens, which is exciting. You know who did take over a game, too, is Jason Tatum, man. That is what taking over a game looks like. That is a phenomenal player right there. I was flipping between that and the White Sox game the other night. Um and the, I turned it on, like, briefly during a commercial break, third quarter. He scored 10 points during that stretch. He had 13 points in the third quarter when I, I was tuning in. <laughs> I saw 10 of them in a stretch. Made a difficult turnaround jumper. Then he, he makes a three in the corner. Makes another deep three. Driving layup. And he's like, this guy's doing it all. Good for Jason Tatum, man. But uh, it's going to be an interesting playoff series. I think that the Suns-Lakers is going to be tough. Because DeAndre, now they've now they got a big man that can match up against AD. Now AD is a much better big man than... Uh, DeAndre Aiden, but you got the scorer in Devin Booker, and you got Chris Paul, who's as competitive as anyone you'll ever meet uh, against LeBron James. The, I think the Lakers are going to have their hands full. I'm, I'm going Lakers in six in that one, but uh, that's going to be a very competitive game. I am looking forward uh, to seeing how that all plays out um, there. But that that should that should be a fun one. That should be a fun one. All right, finally, you know, this is something else that's frustrating. This happened last week too. Tim Tebow gets signed by the Jacksonville Jaguars, and apparently he's going to be competing for tight, the tight end uh, job out there. Despite the fact he's never really played tight end or shown much of an interest in playing tight end earlier. And oh, by the way, he hasn't played football in like eight years. There's not too many jobs. You can be on the couch rate seasons, not not doing that job, and then come waltzing back. And... and and, you know, I talked about it with Tony LaRusso, too, earlier. Like, losing the locker room and being out of touch. Urban Meyer, I feel like, they're setting themselves up for failure here because I feel like he's very out of touch with the locker room. Because already there's some guys in the Jacksonville's front office like, and in the building that were saying, like, eh, I don't know if this is a good idea. Then he hires the, the Iowa strength and conditioning coach earlier after the fact that he, he had just been uh, released from his duties at Iowa because it was reported that he was discriminating against some of the, the, the black players there. But they did their due diligence, meaning that he's in the old boys network, so he signs them, and they end up resigning a couple days later because, yeah, it turned out to be a terrible hire. And the players aren't stupid. These guys aren't dumb. They know what's going on here. Same with Tim Tebow. They're not dumb. They know what's going on. Because there's legit tight ends in this league. 
that want a shot, and you're going to waste a roster spot on Tim Tebow, especially if he earns a job that he does. Like, if he gets makes a spot on the actual roster after training camp, and players, because players will know this guy can play or not. And if it turns out he did it because Tim Tebow was his quarterback at Florida and he just wants to give him the roster spot and whatever, there's going to be a problem. You're going to lose a lot of credibility in that locker room, which was already you know kind of teetering there. I don't really know what that. And that's seems like an extra distraction for me. Especially because he's never shown any ability to play tight end. Man, that's using some gadget plays. But he, even if he did, he hasn't played in eight years. So I don't know how good he can be. you got to be big and strong to play tight end and at least block. And it's also disrespectful to some of these guys. Like you're telling me Des Bryant can't get a job in the NFL. It took him that long to find a team. And Tim Tebow can as soon as he wants to with his former coach. I mean, come on. That is privilege if I've ever seen him. That is no – that's what you're talking about. you got to know people. That's what Tim Tebow is right there. I don't. I don't see it. It's not like the Jacksonville Jaguars have a deep tight end room anyway, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't really like it. Don't like it one bit. We are now joined by Marshall Macaluso. He was busy uh, lecturing to the youth of America here, so he now <laughs> joins us. Uh, welcome aboard, Marshall. <laughs> um, what's up? What's up? How's it going? Yeah, no, no rest for the weary. Got uh, got the, those midterms. Has to start quick, man. I know, right? Is uh, yeah. no fun. Already starting, starting to grind for those. Anyway, let's get right into it. Great game last night between the Warriors and the Lakers, and I want to start uh, with. This a lot of people are out there saying, "Hey, you know what, LeBron James, that was not a clutch shot." Yada yada yada. My argument is this: one, it's a tie game with under a minute left in the fourth quarter. He's calling for the ball. You see Caldwell Pope below the basket. He's calling for the ball. It's a deep shot. Uh, it was a difficult shot. Was there a little luck involved? Maybe, but it's not like he hasn't hit a deep three before. I think that was a huge shot. I think the people that are arguing like, "Oh, it's, 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 there was no pressure on that," are ridiculous. They're cap because if you don't score that possession, then you have to stop Steph Curry with the game tied under a minute left. Like, I'm not signing up for that. Yeah. I think it's a major shot. And for a guy that played so poorly in the first half, the fact that he's able to turn it on in the second quarter like that, get the triple double, and you know, it was a game that really had no business winning, and they were able to pull out the victory. I think it was a phenomenal shot. What are your thoughts on the Lakers uh, Warriors from last night? Yeah, no, I mean it, it was a phenomenal game. I think uh, you know whoever 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 came up with the playing tournament should not be fired. I think it was a very good idea. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean honestly though, you got to give shout out to like the Alex Caruso's, mm-hmm. the Tavius Caldwell Pope, even like Wes Matthews, because like yeah, I mean you said it. I mean Anthony Davis and LeBron they turned it on kind of in the third quarter, got it going. Dennis Schroeder played like crap. The entire game. He could not shoot. I think he was like two for like 12 at some point, two for 11. And he was getting like, he was getting annihilated by Steph Curry, who, you know, it's, it's difficult to guard that man as always. Um, but like, he could not get a good job. But uh, yeah, I mean, shout out to like the role players on the team. But I mean, yeah, that shot was like, I mean, he, he there's like two seconds on the shot clock. Contavious Caldwell Pope cannot get anything going in the post. And he just, like, sees a single open person who's LeBron way downtown. He doesn't catch it in rhythm. He has to, like, jump, grab it with one hand, sees the shot clock, puts it up. I mean, that was, that was insane. That, that, was, that was where, like, you know, people, people were getting on LeBron in the first half so much, and, like, rightfully so. But, like, 
he's one of the all-time greats. And like Steph Curry said after that game, the all-time great players make all-time great shots. Yep. I mean, that was that was insane. That was insane. That just that just goes to show that like you know, players have poor performances. I mean, they, they the Lakers came out flat. They cannot do that against the Suns who they're going to play this weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean. I was I was pretty impressed with the Lakers who, who, who turned it around in the second half of that game. Yeah, it was mixed feelings because at first I was like, you know what, I'd be a little worried. I didn't like the way they were not posting up early against because I, I think honestly that game probably should have been a blowout on paper when you have that matchup against them with all the big men. They're posting up a lot, but the fact that you know what, you had two of your best players play terribly, and as you mentioned, Schroeder, like I think he was trying to prove he was a scorer, and it's like, hey, wrong time, Dennis. Like not right now. Yeah. It's, it's so yeah, uh, but. They turned it on in the second quarter, which is when it matters the most. I mean, that's when that's yeah. when well, that's when all these highlights are made. Like, you never see any like no one talks about John Elway's first quarter in the drive that he led against Cleveland Browns. <laughs> like, you, you remember the fourth quarter? That's when they turned it on. And you have, and if you look at the competition they have, like the Clippers, who actually I think they're scared of them. Like they lost their last two regular season games yeah, to the Rockets. Yeah. And um, like a lot of like a lot of teams are trying to dodge. Them yeah, so the I think the they intentionally tank. They're terrible in the fourth quarter. LeBron and the Lakers, they turned it on in the fourth quarter, so I I think that's a positive sign for them moving forward. It will be interesting to see. I got Lakers in six in the in this Sun series. I think Chris Paul is just like one of those competitive, scrappy guys that makes it interesting. And I also don't think he turns the ball over as much. Because as well as Steph Curry played last night, they were very sloppy with the basketball. And you made a good point. Wesley yeah. Matthews deserve, and Caruso deserve a lot of credit. Especially Matthews. He came in there and he was wreaking havoc on the defensive side of the ball. And he really added a yeah. spark there. So I... I agree uh, with you there. What do you think of these Lakers? Who 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 you got right now coming out of the uh, the West there? Um. Well, so well, going back to the Lakers, I think one one reason that their offense opened up so much is that Anthony Davis was playing the four and was shooting these like elbow jumpers, and you had this scrub Andre Drummond playing center, yeah. who was like useless out there. And as soon as they put AD at the five, and they had LeBron like Schroeder, Caruso, Matthews, and Caldwell Pope. That's when their offense started to open up. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think that the the Suns, they're a good team. They're really good. I, I think the Lakers, if they can start to click, um, like, because I think this is honestly what the Lakers kind of needed. I mean, they haven't really played, like, to this full unit all that much recently, just with, like, injuries and you know, people missing time with like the safety protocols and whatever. Um, this is the momentum that they needed. Um, I think, I honestly think that one of the better teams in the West is the Nuggets. Like, I think that they are a really solid team and they don't really rely on like any player. Like, Jokic is kind of where their offense runs through, but he is so reliable that they don't need like this superstar performance out of anyone um, to get it going because they're really, really deep. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that if the Lakers play like I like we've seen them play last year and earlier this season, I, I think they have a good shot of coming out of the West. Um, but uh, Lakers Nuggets, I think is going to be a good matchup. Um, I think the Jazz are just like the Atlanta Hawks of past years when they were good. Yeah. It's like they're they're the one seed. They got talent. They play well, but like I, I don't know. I, I don't. No really one's see them scared of the team. Jazz. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. Exactly. And it's like Donovan Mitchell's good, but he, he like shoots a lot. And Rudy Gobert is probably gonna win Defensive Player of the Year. But I think like if Anthony Davis gets a seven game series out of him, I don't think that Rudy Gobert is gonna come out on top. So I think the Lakers have 
a pretty good chance. But, um, I mean, honestly, though, if the Suns beat the Lakers, I think the Suns have a very, very good shot of coming out of the West. Oh, I, but I don't think that's going to happen. If they can't pull it off, I, I agree. Yeah, and, you know, I, Frank Vogel deserves a little bit of credit for last night, too. Because, mm-hmm. like, coaching does matter in the NBA. In the fourth quarter, and you mentioned Andre Drummond, like, they... He didn't. Andre Drummond did not play a minute in that fourth quarter. It was no because Anthony Davis, I think, likes to be more of this finesse guy, like shooting these elbow jumpers, moving around a little bit. It was hey, big fella, get your ass down to the post and start posting up, and that's that's exactly. when he started putting, and that's when the game kind of turned around for him. Now before we before we move on here, there's, there's two two quick things I want to get to. Number one. Was it a flagrant foul? Was it not a flagrant foul? I think under the rule book it was. I am glad they didn't call it, though, because I don't think it was intentional. Draymond saying, hey, no easy layups. Take that. Hands in the face. little 80s-style basketball. I liked it. What did you think of the play? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I- I've played many pickup games where there's fouls like that. Um, we won't name it. And, names. like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm LeBron in that instance, I'm like, dude, that's got to be a play. I, I did not see him, like – go for the ball like at all i mean lebron's got the lebron's got both his hands outstretched like vertically and and draymond puts his hands right in his face i understand i feel like that's a flagrant anytime it's not within the five minutes of the last five minutes of the fourth quarter i don't think they're gonna call that especially because he's already getting the free throw shots yeah and like you know if you give him the flagrant that's like what three free throw shots plus uh possession that pretty much would have wrapped the game up um, if they uh, if they score all three, um, and then they get the ball back and they can get another bucket, that would have pretty much wrapped it up. So I think like that kind of came in. Um, yeah, I mean I don't know. I would I would I would I definitely thought it was a flagrant. I mean they they say contact to the head is like pretty much always a flagrant, and I felt like that that was not really uh, defense, but you know. I was surprised yeah. LeBron didn't get the call there. And now that brings me to my second point. Obviously, he got poked in the eye. He said he was seeing three rims after, or afterwards when he chucked up that shot. That can't be easy. And, you know, you could tell he was in a little bit of pain. But I think part of the reason that LeBron never gets, like, the credit that he deserves because everyone's always whining, like, oh, this guy's soft because he's rolling around on the floor making sure everyone sees that he's hurt. After he hit the shot, he made sure to point at his eye being like, yeah, I can't really see. And then his comments in the post game. I think he's being a little overdramatic. I think he wanted everyone to know that, yes, I was hurt and I was at a disadvantage it's like we'll give you the props like we we could all see you don't need to be telling us all this thing and i think because of the overdramatics that's why he doesn't get a lot of props that he deserves because it makes it frustrating for like fans being like we don't want to give this guy credit he's you know i i I don't know i thought he was being a little over the top afterwards not that it's a huge deal or anything i mean the man just get gut through a performance on a bad ankle and one eye but uh i don't know i would do you have any problem with his like flair for the dramatics? I, mean, <laughs> I think LeBron. LeBron, I think he's just a funny dude. I mean, I don't know. I feel like he's always a little over dramatic, and I think that's what makes. I I personally just think it's pretty funny. Um, and I can see why it's frustrating for a lot of people out there. Um, who like you know have a. I mean, what team hasn't been terrorized by LeBron at some point? If you're in the East, it's you. You kind of hate LeBron. Yeah. Uh, and then if you're in the West, I mean, besides the Warriors fans, but even Warriors fans, I mean, everyone's got a bone to pick LeBron because he's been so dominant um, over, like, the past, you know, two decades or whatever. Um, and I think that's why it's, like, so frustrating because he's, like, this goofy dude who has, like, cringy Instagram posts and, like, he, he like, sings, he, like, rap songs in his Instagram and he doesn't even, he clearly doesn't even know the word. He's just, like, so goofy and, like, overdramatic. And then he'll hit a buzzer beater from 35 feet 
to win the game against your team. And it's like, are you kidding me right now? Like <laughs> yeah. this dude, this dude is the guy that's just packed up my Raptors in four games for like the three straight seasons. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's funny. And that's why it's like, you know, everyone's like, it's so he's like, he's hilarious because everyone, like so many people hate on him. And then he just, he just, he guts it out and he wins. And it's like, well, you know, I got, I, I got to post his highlights now because he's crazy good. But yeah, no, I think it's just funny, but I do think he's a little bit overdramatic as always. So we talk about the West, any teams in the East, and as we're recording this, your, your uh, Wizards play uh, tonight, so I'm sure we'll know the outcome. The people listening, you'll know the outcome. But is there anyone in the West that you think can challenge the Lakers or anyone? Because I think the general consensus, I mean, mostly the general consensus is it's probably going to be um, Nets, uh, Lakers. But I think, you know, the Nets' big problem is, and we saw in the fourth quarter with the Lakers, and that was one of the things I really loved about this game, there was some legit defense being played. They turned it on in the fourth quarter defensively. Yeah. Nets, yeah. I don't know if they can do that. Is there any teams in the East uh, you think can, one, I mean, make it out of there or pass the past Brooklyn, or uh, if they do, or even Brooklyn, that you think they can take out whoever comes out of the West, presumably the, the uh, Lakers? Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I feel like I always say that the Bucks have a good shot, but like I don't know. The the Bucks the Bucks just seem to never really figure it out in the postseason. I think that's gotta be a lot on um their coach, um Bud whatever his name is. Um but uh yeah, I mean the the thing about the Nets is like it's kinda weird because everyone knows they're so good because they have those three elite scorers. But like I don't know, I haven't seen those three elite scorers play together. Um, like, I don't even know. Well, I, I can't remember the last time that they were all healthy at the same time. So Harden missed a lot of time. Um, KD missed a lot of time. I'm not saying that like because they haven't played together, they're not going to perform well. I still think they're gonna they're gonna cakewalk it to um the conference finals. But I just really haven't. We haven't really seen their talent on full display yet, which is a little bit scary. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the Bucks have the best shot just because I think that Chris Middleton plus Giannis, plus Drew Holiday. That's three really good defenders right there. Um, and, if you know, I don't think I don't think the Nets have an answer for pretty much any big man who is elite. I mean, Giannis, Embiid, uh, Anthony Davis, if it gets to that point, I don't even think they're going to have an answer. They got the corpse of DeAndre Jordan playing the five yeah. for them. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the Sixers talent, but I do not trust them whatsoever. I think Simmons and Embiid are going to, fall apart in the playoffs against a good team. The Bucks consistently seem to choke. The Heat, I mean, they had a lot of guys performing very, very well in the bubble who have not. I mean, the Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson have not been performing that well this year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see anyone really stopping the Nets. I think if it is going to be anyone, it's going to be um, the – I think it's going to be the Bucks. Honestly, I feel like the Knicks are going to be one of the hardest-playing teams in that conference, and they're going to give teams the most problems, but I don't think they're going to – Here's win what, against those big yeah, ones. And that's what I worry about with the Knicks. And, like, this is what happened with Thibodeau's Bulls, too. Because, like, they always try during the regular And this is why I like the Knicks. This is why I'm going to be rooting for them during the playoffs. Because they always try during the regular season. They give a great effort, especially on the defensive end. They play good basketball on the defensive side. But during the regular season, you're going to catch teams that are, like, mailing it in or taking nights off. And Tom Thibodeau's teams just don't do that. So you're going to pick up a lot more wins against teams you probably shouldn't have. And the playoffs, everyone's really trying. Everyone starts to play defense, so it kind of evens things out. So that's why I'm not completely buying the Knicks yet. 
Uh, they might be, you know what, they might. They might give teams problems. I think it's going to be a war against the Hawks in the first round. I think those two are matched up very evenly. Yeah, I give the Knicks a really slight fun. advantage. So that's like one of those series, like it has no playoff implications, but like I am, I'm really, I got that one uh, circled. But as far as, I mean, because I think once teams start trying, then, because like it happens a lot with the Nets too. Like when they try defensively, they're sufficient. They're still not a good defensive team, but like, you know, there's times when you can clearly see like, Kyrie didn't care out there, but uh, we'll see how yeah, we'll see how it yeah. goes. But Caruso being able to do what he did against Curry, I think, gives me hope for the Lakers when they match up with the Nets. Because, like I said, the Nets don't play defense, and I think Caruso could give Kyrie some problems. He doesn't have the same range as Curry does, and then everything else will fall into place there. But all right, yeah. Moving on to the baseball uh, world, and I had a, uh, I said my piece on this. I'm interested, outside perspective. Obviously, you heard about the Tony La Russa uh, situation with Chicago. He's had his fair share of problems with uh, controlling Mercedes in the past, in the offseason, too, if you catch my drift. But, uh, yep, yep. You know what? You're not a White Sox fan. Outsider looking in, what do you feel? What are your thoughts on this, uh, the the circus in Chicago and the three old count hurt around the world? It is so funny. Because I'm seeing on Twitter, well, you guys are going to what, New York for like a road trip yeah. or something like that? And they got all the dudes and like the chains and there's like sunglasses. And the White Sox, I mean, the White Sox are one, of them, are one of the more likable teams in the MLB. I mean, it helps that they're good. Um, but, uh, you know, they got a lot of swag on that roster. And then you got this like old, decrepit, like senile old man who like is just stuck in the past. I mean, it's like a, it's like the yin and yang, but it's like not a good thing. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it, it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me because I remember when David Ross started. Because David Ross, I mean, you know, he he was a he was he was a Cubs player, so he's like friends with like a lot of the guys on this roster, like Anthony Rizzo, you know, Kyle Schwarber, like those guys. He was like really good buddies with them, and now he's their coach. And it's like, okay, how is this going to work out? And it's like you have to establish yourself as like the leader who has your players' backs. And so I remember like early on, you know, there's like a like a low strike or something like that. That's like, you know, probably a little borderline. It's happened a couple times that game. And he gets out of the dugout. He's yelling at the umpire. And it's like, does he need to do that? No. He's probably gonna get ejected, which is not great. But it's like you gotta let your players know that like you're you're their captain, you're their skipper, like you are the guy who's gonna lead them in games and you're a guy who like is always going to have their backs, whether it's, like, at the plate, like, whatever. And, yeah. like, he showed the exact opposite. He showed the exact opposite. I mean, Tim Anderson cannot be the guy who's, like, you know, the one who's helping these players, who's, like, you know, leading these players. I mean, it's helpful that he's, like, a leader in the clubhouse, but, like, you need, like, an actual manager to be that guy. And, like, it seems like the exact opposite. I, I mean – and this is, it's funny, too, because, like, I mean, we all knew it was going to get to this point, and we all knew this was going to happen sooner or later. The White Sox have already gotten thrown at last year for, like, bat flipping against the Royals and whatever. And, like, you know, if, if a dude who's, like, subscribing to, like, the old ways of the MLB with, like, the unwritten rules and, like, all that stuff, I mean, it's stupid. And I, don't e- I won't even get into the, like, the optics of the Yerman Mercedes home run because any, like, fan of the MLB – actually likes watching baseball like doesn't care that he hit that home run it's whatever they threw a position player at him cares if it's 15 or 16 to 4 you throw a 47 mile an hour meatball it's going to get launched in the center field like that's what happens in the sport of baseball so like yeah it's 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 sad it's i feel bad for white Sox fans because like you guys really have like one of the coolest teams in the mlb 
and you have this coach that like is such a buzzkill all the time. It's 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 crazy. It's it, crazy. I can't believe he's your manager. It's, I know. Neither. Ugh. And it's literally everything. <laughs> like you know, the only people that predicted it, this was like literally everyone. We said yeah. this before. Like this would happen. It, they they mesh terribly. It's just not. It's. It's a bad look. And I'll tell you what it is funny, too. They were asking, like, Lance Lynn. They're like, hey, is there a rift in the locker room? And he's like, no, everyone's with Yerman. And it's like, yes, this is about right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, even on their live stream when they were getting on the plane, because they had, like, a Yoan Moncada-themed road trip, which I thought was kind of funny. So that's why they were all wearing, like, the uh, jump shoots and the chains oh, or whatever. And I so, like, they you, were, like, live you. streaming. Uh, Tim Anderson and Yerman were, like, live streaming on their Instagram live heading in there. And you could hear Tim Anderson, like, whooping in the background. He's like, we're going to keep swinging 3-0, baby. And there's Tony La Russa sitting in the back of the plane. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. actually, you know, uh, one one quick thing. I was kind of interested. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Uh, but so Albert Pujols, obviously, he tormented your Cubs for plenty of years oh, in yeah. St. Louis. Oh, yeah. Uh, he kind of got shafted. I think he kind of got shafted w- with the oh, Angels. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you look at the OPS like for the first base when they had as their backup, they didn't let him go. I, I don't know why he wouldn't write out his contract. But the Dodgers signed him as a pinch hitter, or, or allegedly as a pinch hitter. Um I actually don't buy this. I think that Albert Pujols, the one thing he still does well is drive in runs. In 2019, he had 93 RBIs um, in like the last full 60-game season they played. And this is the decrepit Albert Pujols with his declining numbers, so to speak. 93 RBIs is pretty good. That's higher than the career average for most of the guys on the Dodgers. The one that has had more than 93 RBIs is Mookie Betts, but he hasn't done that since 2017, and now he's batting leadoff, which is where I think he should be. But if you look yeah. at like Seager and um, Bellinger, Max Muncy, uh, 93 is higher than all their career highs in RBIs. So I think they need a guy that drives and runs. Uh, he's not going to have a whole lot of pressure in that lineup. So I think he's going to get more starts than people realize, especially against lefties, and I think he could help this Dodgers team. I don't know if you have any thoughts about Albert Pujols moving uh, teams or not, but... Uh, it's yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's pretty short, but like, you know, I think it. I think he did get shafted by the Angels. Um, I understand. I mean, the fact that they signed him to that monster deal kind of like doomed him from the start because you knew he wasn't going to be able to like play up to that contract at a certain point. But I'm I'm glad the Dodgers picked him up. I didn't think he was going to be on a contender. That's for sure. I was yeah. a little surprised that it was the Dodgers. Um, but I'm I'm happy, even though he like destroyed the Cubs consistently. He's such a class act that like he deserved to like go out on his own terms. You didn't want to see him like just kind of have to force into retirement just because no one's going to sign him. So I was pretty happy about it. And yeah, like his first game, he drives in Mookie Betts with a little base knock. I mean, it's what he does. It's what he's there for. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. Oh uh, well. Finally, and we didn't get the chance to talk about this last week. Tim Tebow, he officially signed. Contract oh, yeah. to be a tight end with the Jaguars. I think this is like the definition of like you know someone in the business. Like it's like literally like privilege is you, you can get. And if you want to talk about losing a locker room, I think that's one of the best ways to do it because you have guys like um, uh, Des Bryant who had problems finding a job in the NFL, and mm-hmm. that's a guy mm-hmm. who is very talented. Here's the guy Tim Tebow. He one doesn't play tight end. Two hasn't played yeah. in like eight years. And, you know, it's pretty clear that there's apparently people in the Jacksonville front office that were like, eh, do we really want to do this? It's pretty clear if he wasn't a quarterback for Urban Meyer in college, he would not have gotten this opportunity. So I don't know what message it sends to the rest of the team, especially if he makes it. I think this is going to – it's an extra distraction. I don't see it working out. What do you <laughs> – Yeah, I, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, can Tim Tebow catch? I mean, goodness, he could barely throw, so I don't know if he, yeah. could, he could catch footballs. Uh, I'm cer- I certainly don't think he can block people. Like, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, I, I was seen on Twitter because it was kind of blowing up this morning. And he's a right. I mean, Tim Tebow with an 85 jersey with Jacksonville was, like, uh, you know, pretty, pretty weird to see. Um, but, I mean, like, yeah, there's so many, like, undrafted rookies out there and, like, these dudes who, like, bounce around teams that, like, have to grind to get, like, a ro- get a tryout and then get a get on the 52-man roster. I mean, these dudes go through, like, so much just to get on the roster and get a paycheck. And, like, Tim Tebow, it just, like, just shows up. I mean, people don't even know. Yeah, yeah like you said, like, I don't even know he played tight end. What in the world? I mean, he's kind of muscular, so, like, I guess he could. Um yeah, but, I mean, you look at the Jaguars website, they got the three jerseys already, you know, up on their up on their marquee. It's obviously Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and Tim Tebow. Uh, so, I guess they're getting those jersey sales. I mean, everyone wants a Jackson Jaguar, Jaguars Tebow jersey for that darty. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, like, like I guess they're going to get some money out of it. I think it's stupid. I think, like, yeah, I don't know. The Jacksonville Jaguars look like one of those teams right now where it's like, ooh, look at us. Look at the names we're getting. We have Urban Meyer. Yeah. And we got we got uh, Trevor Lawrence's teammates, his running back, Travis Etienne. Ooh, isn't that cool? And like, yeah, it is kind of cool. But, like, is it going to help you in football games? I don't know. Probably not. Um, and so that's where it's like, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see if Jacksonville can actually, like, truly build around their quarterback that they just got. Because, um, I mean, you look at the team that drafted right after them. It was the Jets, who, like, are very unglamorous as a football team. But they got a quarterback, and now it's like they've got to find talent to surround them right. to just win football games. It's not about, like, selling jerseys. It's not about the money. You know what I mean? Right. And the ETM pick was kind of strange, too, because, like, you just got your quarterback, and you have James Robinson already in the backfield. So exactly. it seemed like one of those exactly. big-name pickups where, like, hey, you could get some offensive line help here or maybe get a receiver on the outside. Instead, you pick a running back. And now what they're saying is they're having him in like the running camp. He took the majority of his reps at wide receiver. And it's like, what? What, what the, why is this going on? It was like, well, he had a lot of receiving yards in college. It's like, well, yes, but that was out of the backfield as a running yeah, back. Exactly, so yeah. I don't, they're going to be misusing him too, making him learn a new position. I don't uh, Urban Meyer's a bum. I don't think that's going to work out. I, yeah, I, I, not, I did not today. like that pickup. I think they should have... I think they should have gotten a proven, like, NFL assistant coach, like Robert Taylor for the Jets yeah. or someone like that who, like, yeah, I don't I don't think that was good. I, I think, yeah, this is not college, bro. As much as we want to keep, like, their roster, like, their, their roster is like the college, like, Hall of Fame. They got, like, all these Clemson dudes and Tim Tebow is good in Florida. And it's like, well, it's not, this is not college anymore, bro. This is the pros. It's a whole different ball game, but yeah, what do I know? All right, before we wrap up here, confidence meter, Aaron Rodgers level to the Denver Broncos. Where are we sitting here? Scale one to ten. How are we feeling? Because the talks have kind of died down a little bit. Um. Well, I know that the big thing was that if there was going to be a trade, it would be after June first because of like the OTAs and whatnot. Honestly, kind of at a six and a half right now. Okay, that's pretty. I that's think, a lot higher than I thought. Yeah, I think. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I think Aaron Rodgers has, like, three options. He, and he's a very petty man. And I do not – one of the options is just, like, 
you know, get over it and play for the Packers. And he's extremely petty. He will not talk to his own family. I don't think that's going to happen. His second option is to just, like, sit and just, you know, collect your checks and uh, maybe host Jeopardy if you want to. I don't know. Uh, and, like, I don't know. I feel like as an NFL player who, like, gotten has gotten so close so many times, only has one ring, I'd have to imagine he wants to, you know, get some more – Get some more rings in his. Yes, um, I agree. In in his belt before he retires, or else he's going to known as the one guy, as the guy who was like really, really good, but he only won one Super Bowl, and Tom Brady's much better than him. Um, but, but I mean, and it's the the all the quarterback needy teams pretty much got theirs in the draft, and the only two that have ever even been talked about, and I know Dan Orlovsky went on a, a podcast and was talking about how the Broncos are pretty much the only destination. That that Rodgers has to go to. I mean, it's him and the Raiders, but the Raiders are not a win now team. Their defense stinks. They yeah. have very little weapons. Um, whereas the Broncos, the Bron- I mean, look, man, Peyton Manning thought his career was over. He had that old neck surgery thing, and all of a sudden he goes to Denver and goes two Super Bowls, wins one. And I think that the same exact story could be made for Rodgers. And I think that the Broncos are going to be in on him. I don't know. I'm. I'm I think. I honestly. Because I know the Deshaun Watson was thing was like very out there, but I honestly think this could happen. I yeah, and especially because I don't think he's gonna sit there and cash checks. Because th- this isn't about money. This is clearly like yeah, an ego yeah, thing. Yeah. I want to because like Tom Brady didn't leave New England because of the money. He, him and Joe are making enough money. He wants to prove it's like a legacy thing for him. So I think Rodgers, the kind of same thing. Like, oh, you guys going to draft Jordan Love? I'll, I'll, I'll stick it to you with Denver. So we'll see. But with the one thing I do think is working against you guys and why the Packers won't trade him, if Jordan Love was ready to play, then I think they'd be a little quicker to move off of him. But their own GM admitted, like, yeah, he's probably not ready yet, which is kind of a problem. So uh, we'll see. Packers had their placement lined up. Then maybe it'd be one thing. If only they drafted a good quarterback there. Or maybe didn't yeah. draft a quarterback at all. They wouldn't be worried about this situation. But exactly. what are you going to do? That's all we have for you. Thank you so much for uh, listening. Yeah. Enjoy the playoffs uh, for both yeah. leagues, NHL and NBA. NHL playoffs are oh, yeah. exciting nowadays. But uh, yes, yeah. yes. enjoy the rest all of right. your week. See you later.